Um, it's a joy to be back with you all this uh, this week. Uh, my family and I were gone last week, and we had the privilege of enjoying a week away in the great state of Colorado. Uh, do we have some folks from Colorado here? I think we do. Yeah, all right. We just had such a refreshing time. It was such a, a desire of my heart to be in a place where the high is in the mid-70s and the low is in the, the 50s during the summertime for several years now. I've Gone to Colorado a couple times, and it's just so refreshing there in the summertime. And just got to do some really sweet, fun stuff with uh, with Kendall's family. Um, one of the things we we did, I got to do with some of her cousins, was uh, go do a, a one-day hiking trip and camping trip overnight. And so we backpacked up this mountain, and we were going to do this really intense camp uh, that was rated like difficult, and with the ten of us, and we we took two cars up. The, the mountain to try to get to the trailhead and it was quite a trip just to get to the trailhead and so i'm in a i'm in a truck with a four by four wheel drive truck uh with kendall's cousins and and then kendall's brother was driving the vehicle behind us that was a two-wheel drive and it was a forerunner and you would think it would be four-wheel drive but it was a two-wheel drive forerunner and so we passed the sign that said um four-wheel drive only something like that and we just, we kept on going. We transgressed that sign. We didn't care about that sign. So we kept on going. We thought we can do this, or at least the car behind us did. And so we get up there, up in the mountains. I should have grabbed some pictures to, to, to do this. And we're, we're up in the, up in the mountains and on this one lane road on the long side of the mountain and the, the two wheel drive vehicle gets stuck. And I, I, at first I thought they got a flat because we're running over these, these rocks and it's kind of slippery on there. I thought, oh no, we're going to have to try to change this tire on the side of this mountain one lane road. And then other cars are trying to go come down and other cars are trying to come up. And so we had to block it off and it was just kind of, kind of a, a thrilling moment, a little bit scary. My brother-in-law was just hitting on the accelerator and the, the wheels were just spinning. So it wasn't going anywhere. And then we had a couple of us try to push it wasn't going anywhere, so we concluded that it was vain to keep pushing on the accelerator, trying to get up the mountain with a two-wheel drive vehicle. We needed a four-wheel drive vehicle to get to where we were going, and so we had to back this vehicle down. So that's, that's even more scary. Going up is kind of scary, but then going backwards down, we had to go to a place where we can turn it around, and I thought I was going to lose my brother-in-law, and his fiance thought the same thing. She was like, I want to get married. <laughs> Um, and, and thankfully God shielded and protected us. Um, but as I was in the sermon and thinking about, um, that experience, I was, I was just thinking about how the apostle Paul describes a people in Galatians chapter three who are stuck under a curse, a people who rely on the works of the law to try to establish justification and position and favor before God. And it's vain. It's vain. And I wonder how many people within the church, how many people amongst religion are just stuck, just trying, giving it, giving it everything they got to try to earn justification before God, to try to please God and be righteous before God with their good works. And they just try harder, try harder, push the accelerator of moralism and try harder. And then they just get more and more stuck and unable to move up the mountain closer to God. You see, there's a problem that we all face. 
And it's the problem of sin. And we are, uh, we're all sinners and we can't justify ourselves before God. In trying to justify ourselves before God by keeping His law, the Bible says, uh, puts us under a curse. We're under a curse if we do that. And so today I want to talk about living under the curse or the blessing. I think we all desire to live under the blessing and that is for us who are in Christ Jesus. The blessing of God is for us to live under in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that today from Galatians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to pray. Y'all turn there. Father, thank you for your word. It's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. As we open it up and as I speak from your word, speak your truths, may I handle them accurately and appropriately for the building up of your people, for the glory of your name. And would you come and speak to us through your scripture by your Holy Spirit. And may we live lives that are full of your blessing because of what Jesus Christ has done. And if there's anybody here who's stuck, stuck in sin, trying to get out, I pray that by your amazing grace, by the power of the gospel, you would lift and deliver those who are under that curse of the law and bring them into your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the big idea of where we're going from Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to share this before we read it. The law of God can't do for us what the gospel of grace has done. We must know the purpose and the role of the law to avoid misusing it, living under a curse. And we must believe the gospel promise to experience the blessing of God's favor. All right, Galatians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 10. And let me just say this too, I thought... I heard Pastor Mike's sermon last week, and I thought he did an excellent job on preaching from Galatians 2. Thank you, Pastor Mike, for, for bringing the word last week. Uh, Galatians 3, verse 10. says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified Before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. And all God's people said, Amen to that. And so I want to start this morning focusing on the problem of law-keeping. The problem of taking God's law and misusing it. You see, it's a common uh, thought that you can get right with God by being a good person. I've, I've talked to many people on the streets, and this is one of the most common perceptions that people have that the way to get to heaven is be a good person do what's right read your bible obey the 10 commandments i don't i don't know how many people i've heard say that uh how do you when i've asked them how do you how do you get to heaven how do you get right with god obey the 10 commandments 
Even recently, and this is, this is hilarious, even recently my own son, I asked him, how do you get to heaven? He said, be a good person. I said, no, how many times have we talked about this, Carson? I've told you the gospel, you know the gospel. You've given me the right answer before. That was not the right answer. So we did this little activity with our family where I said, okay, son, I want you and, and, and my daughters, I want you guys to try to get to the dining room table um, without touching the floor. And so my son was like trying to be creative and he kind of threw pillows down and he was trying to do everything he can to get to the dining room table without touching the floor. So anyways, the way I showed them to try to teach them that salvation is by grace, not by works, was I went over there and I said, okay, Karis, jump on. Karis means grace, by the way. Jump on, Karis. And I gave her a ride over to the table without her touching the floor. Okay, Abigail, come on, jump on. Gave her a ride without touching the floor. Okay, Carson, we can't get to heaven in our own strength and in our own ability by being good people. We need the grace of God. And even from, from a, a, a childhood, we have this conception that if we'll just be good, we'll be alright with God, and God will forgive us, and everything will be okay, and we'll earn our way into heaven. That's just how we're wired. For some reason, we think that if we just keep the law, if we just do what the law says, we're gonna be alright. Does God care about us doing what's right? Yes. Yes, He does. But the law was not given to justify anybody before God. The law doesn't do that. Okay, and we'll talk a little bit about the purpose of the law. Uh, Paul does in this passage. But first, let's, let's focus on this problem with law keeping. Verse 10 says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Who wants to live a life under the curse of the law? Nobody does. We want the blessing of God to fill our life, to fill our families. And this verse tells us that those who are are relying on the law are living under a curse. I've told people on the streets that if you're trusting in your own good works to get you to heaven, it's like trusting a parachute that the devil packed for you. Go on, take it, jump. You'll be all right. And Satan is a deceiver. He's a liar who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants people to be in deception thinking that they'll be okay by their good works once they die if they'll just do enough good works to make it to heaven. But that's like trusting a parachute that Satan himself packed. It's not going to release for you and it's not going to save you when it's time to jump, right? When we go from this life to the next. And everyone who lives under the, the law, the works of the law or under a curse. Everyone who's relying on that. The Bible teaches us what to rely on when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to our righteousness. And it's not what we do. Right? It's what Christ has done. And we're going to just hit that over and over and over again. You're going to hear us every Sunday. We're going to talk about that when we take communion. You're going to hear that saturated throughout all of the messages. We are going to put the emphasis on the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done. The law observers relying on the works of the law are under a curse. The other thing is that the law can't justify us before God. It's kind of like a mirror. Okay, how many of y'all got looked in the mirror this morning? You woke up and you looked to see how much damage was done. You realize, oh man, I need to put some makeup on, need to shave, need to comb my hair, all right? You look in the mirror and the mirror doesn't help you look any better. As a matter of fact, it may, you may feel like the mirror makes you look worse. 
And the mirror is just telling you the truth. The mirror is not lying. You're looking in the mirror and you see yourself and you're like, oh man, I need to wash myself. I need to shave. I need to comb my hair. I need to get cleaned up. I need to put some makeup on because I, I look rough, right? And so the law is like that. The law doesn't pretty us up. It actually helps us to see ourselves in reality. It exposes how broken and sinful we are. It exposes our great need for the Savior. And it can't justify us. I mean, how many of y'all, after you looked in the mirror this morning, you took the mirror and you started wiping your face with it to clean your face up? Or tried to shave with it? Or tried to put your makeup on with the mirror? No, because that's not the mirror's purpose. The mirror isn't designed to make you look better. It's designed to show you yourself in truth. And then you take some action based on what you see, right? So the law of God can't justify us before God. It shows us our true state and sinfulness and our need for the Savior. The law also doesn't give us any power to change or to obey. Obey it. It shows us what we ought to do, but it doesn't give us what we need to do it. Most of us who, who have kids, we've all experienced this. When you, when you give a command to your son or daughter, um, you know, they, they may be doing great. They're playing nicely. Things are going well. But then you give one command, one simple command to your son or daughter, and then they disobey, and their sinfulness is revealed in that disobedience, right? So that the command that's given by mom or dad that's disobeyed by Son or daughter reveals a heart of disobedience, a sinfulness. And that's what the law does, is it reveals how we have sinned against God. And so we must never take it to try to justify ourselves and clean ourselves by being a good person and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. You see, Christianity offers something so much better than moralism. Christianity offers something so much better than just being a disciplined person and just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Christianity offers grace, saving grace, transforming grace. Christianity offers the gospel of Jesus Christ, offers pardon from your sins where you have blown it and you can't justify yourself. You can't change yourself. You can't save yourself. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, Christianity offers righteousness to ungodly sinners who don't deserve it. And then it offers power. And so let's, let's look at that. So verse 13 and 14. Actually, before I go there, let me just say this. I, I was reminded, as I was preparing this sermon, I was reminding, reminded of how instrumental this passage has been in my life to grow as a Christian. Okay? I, uh, when I first got saved, I just, I got on fire for God and God delivered me from drugs and immorality and from theft and all the things that I was doing. I was, and I was bound to in sin. I was broken. I was living in darkness, headed for jail and hell. I was a, uh, raised up as a Catholic and so I had some religious background and so I just kind of had this mindset if I just said my prayers and I went to church every once in a while and I just kind of did good, I'd be alright. And I was confronted at one point in my life that I, I wasn't good enough to get to heaven. I needed a savior. I needed someone outside of myself who would rescue me from my sinfulness. And December 12th, 1998, that happened. I became a Christian and God set me free. And I, and I went from using drugs to no longer using drugs. I went from sexual immorality to living a life of purity and righteousness. 
And this was the grace of God working in my life, breaking the bondage of sin that was controlling my life. And of course, that's been a process. I wasn't completely sanctified once I became a Christian. I was justified, though. And I had been set free from sin being having dominion over my life. But one of the, the things that I tended towards as a, as a new Christian was I tended toward legalism. I tended towards trying to earn favor with people and with God. If I'll just evangelize more, if I'll just read my Bible more, if I'll just pray more, God will like me more. Even though I may not have said that, even though in my head I knew that's not true, but in my heart I kind of felt that. Right, as Pastor Mike said, we, you know, us evangelicals, we may not be legalist in our minds, but we may be legalist in our hearts. We may tend towards feeling like, if I'll just do more, God will love me more, God will accept me, God will give me favor, right? And, and, and so, this was something that God had to just break down, that my identity wasn't based on my performance. That I was loved by God, not because of what I do. God had displayed His love through what Christ had done for me. And so I I, uh, started listening to a guy named Ray Comfort who talked about the importance of uh, using the Ten Commandments in evangelism. Using the law, the Ten Commandments, to confront people who thought they were good enough to get to heaven. And it kind of went something like this. You know, have you ever told a lie before? Yeah, I've told no lie. Well, what does that make you? It makes you... A liar, right? Have you ever stolen before? What does that make you? Makes you a thief, right? And so I let, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the idea. What, have you ever lusted before? Yeah, well, Jesus said if you lust after a woman, you commit adultery in your heart. And by your own admission, you've admitted to being a lying, thieving, adulterate heart. And it's amazing how many people go from, yeah, I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven, to, man, I'm in trouble. After you just take them through a few of those Ten Commandments. And living in the Bible Belt, having something like that's very effective when you talk to people who feel like they're good enough to get there in their own strength. So I, my, my heart was bent towards, towards legalism. Okay, And I remember there was a, a deliverance, a guy who uh, did deliverance ministry at the church that I went to. And for those of you who don't know what that means, that it's basically a counselor uh, who may or may not be qualified with formal training, but they, they try to work with people to share gospel truths to help them get free from uh, spiritual bondage and so on. And so I was at this uh, charismatic church that had a deliverance minister who would come and help folks who had addictions get free. And I didn't have any addictions. At least I, I didn't think I did. I, I was set free from drugs. I was set free from immorality. I had been, I had been serving God and witnessing and, and reading my Bible. I was going to Bible studies. I was doing what Christians should be doing in my mind. I felt pretty, pretty righteous going into this deliverance session with this guy who had a pretty uh, good reputation of being able to read people's mail. And just call people out, just like get down into where they're at in their hearts. And so I went in expecting that I would get a good pat on the back as, man, you're doing a great job as a Christian. Keep it up, buddy. You know, I didn't share any major moral things that I was struggling with. But but as I shared my testimony, shared a little bit about my life, this, this uh, counselor guy started taking me through the Ten Commandments. 
And he was doing it much more skillful than I had learned to do it. He was, he was doing it much more effectively than I was doing it. And all of a sudden I started to feel this weight on me. Like, am I even a Christian? And this guy's asking me, like, he's just, he's using the wall to expose my sinfulness and my self-righteousness and my pride. And I was brought to, to this place here where, where Paul says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the law and to do them. There, if you're, if you're thinking that you're gonna, uh, be justified by what you do, then you gotta carry the weight of doing it all. Not just a little bit. You gotta do, you gotta carry the weight of doing it all. And you see, I was guilty of breaking God's law. Even as a Christian, I, I hadn't, I hadn't arrived to a place where I perfectly kept the law of God and praise God that salvation isn't through law keeping. It's by sheer grace. Otherwise, we would have no hope. It'd be like for us trying to throw a baseball from here to China. It's not happening, right? You can't do it. So we're all guilty and the law shows us that. And here's here's where the good news comes in. Here's, here's where Paul brings us to the good news in verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Paul has already made several gospel statements in first in, in Galatians. Galatians 1:4, Paul said that Jesus Christ gave himself for us to deliver us from this present evil age. Galatians 2:20, Paul said, "I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me." Paul's making another gospel statement here. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He was cursed for us. The law says in Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus took the curse that you and I deserve because of our sin. Uh, Paul puts it another way in 2 Corinthians 5 that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus took on the punishment you and I deserve. He took on the curse for sin, for not keeping God's law. And he, he paid the price. He fulfilled the demands of justice that the law has for you and I. He became what, what the Bible calls the propitiation for our sin. The, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And there's nothing you and I can do to make that happen. And guys... We're going to just keep coming back to this. Paul does in this letter, and this is something that we will always circle back to here. Because you and I never grow out of our need for the gospel. It's not just the ABCs of Christianity. And then once you, uh, you're a Christian for a while and you learn some things, you, you move up to bigger and better and greater things. No. The gospel, the good news that, that Christ has redeemed us. Christ gave himself for us. The gospel is about what God has done, not about what we do. It's about grace. 
It's about Jesus Christ coming down and becoming the sacrifice for our sins and forgiving us and freeing us and rescuing us and promising us life eternal because of what Jesus has done. The gospel is not about what we do. Yes, we have a responsibility to respond to it. Okay, but we, we first have to believe it and receive it. Receive what He has done. So the promise of God here. So we looked at the, the, the problem with law keeping. Let's look at the promise of God. The promise of God, God sends His Son Jesus. The law foreshadows this, that, that one would come, that he would crush the head of Satan. The, the law said there would be this another prophet like Moses who would come. This, this Messiah, the, the Psalms prophesied about this Messiah who would come and redeem us. He's our redeemer. He has bought us back. He's paid the price for our sins. He became the curse for us so that you and I can live under the blessing of Abraham. Verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. If you're a Christian, you are in Christ Jesus. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed. Behold, all things are new. If you're a Christian, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Ephesians 1. If you're a Christian, you are in the family of God. And the blessing of Abraham belongs to you, even though you may not be a Jewish Christian. Do we have any Jews in here? Or are we all Gentiles? We're all Gentiles in here. So this is good news for us. Because Jesus didn't just die for the Jewish people. And, and, and God didn't just bless Abraham so that the Jewish people would be blessed. He said to Abraham, in you, all, all, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In your seed, through your seed, right? So God has included us in this blessing. We have the blessing of God over our lives, not because of what we've done, what we've done, but because of Jesus. When, when God the Father looks at you, believer, saint, child of God, He sees the righteousness of Jesus. You've been transferred into a place of favor. A place you, where you've been justified and God's, God's wrath towards sin is no longer directed towards you. God has declared you righteous and you're in His favor. Okay? So what is the blessing of Abraham? Uh, you go back to um, verse, let's see, 6. Go back to verse 6 and 7 and 8. The blessing of Abraham. Let's look at that for a second. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteous righteousness. Yeah, just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Quoting, uh, I believe, uh, Genesis 15, 6. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham is known as the father of faith, the man of faith, right? And those of us who believe and we approach God by faith, 
Not by the works of the law, not by our moralism, not by our righteousness, but we approach God by faith. God declares us righteous. And we have that status with Him as long as we live. That is, that is, God sees us as righteous in His sight. This should free us up. This should excite us. This should, this should kind of take some weight off of us. For, especially those of us who aren't doing too well in, in our spirit, in your spiritual disciplines. You're not really spending maybe enough time with the Lord or you're not praying enough or you're not doing whatever you feel like or you know you should be doing as a Christian. But our relationship with God isn't based on what we do. It's based on what Christ has done and we receive that by faith. That frees us up. That should free us up in relationships to just to give grace to one another. That should free us up in the workplace, not to get stressed out and, and, and as if your identity and value was based on how well you perform at work or how well you perform as a husband or wife, as a mother, as a father. You should be freed up from legalistic expectations and regulations, knowing that you're justified by faith, not by what you do. Amen? And so Christ is our only Redeemer who took the curse for us. And then the blessing of Abraham is justification by faith. It's faith in Jesus and what He's done for us. God declares us righteous. God, the just judge, justifies the unjust because of Christ's perfect sacrifice. God doesn't just sweep sin under the rug and ignore it. If, if a judge did that, if a judge just, just pardoned a criminal that had committed heinous Dark sins of, if God, if a judge did that, we would say that there's something wrong with that judge, right? If, 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 if it was a judge who did that, who pardoned certain things done to maybe one of your family members, terrible things, you would feel like that was not right if that judge just let, let this criminal off the hook, right? God doesn't just sweep our sin under the rug. He doesn't just say, I forgive you. He sent his son Jesus to come and take death row. For you and me. And so God can justly and righteously forgive the worst of sins. Because He doesn't just sweep it under the rug. He pays for it through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. And I know you guys know this. I know this is basic. But we need to hear this and we need to come back to this over and over again. Amen? So what is the blessing of Abraham? The blessing of Abraham is justification by faith. Paul makes an argument in this chapter that before Moses, before the law, Abraham was made righteous by faith. Okay, The Jewish people would look to Moses as, as one of their leaders, and they would look to Abraham as one of their leaders. Right, And so Paul's using the, the law, the Old Testament, to say Abraham, the, the very first Jewish person, the father of the Jewish nation, he was made right by faith. And if you're really a child of Abraham, then you're, you're a child of faith. You're not of the works of the law. You're not trying to work to earn your justification, your righteousness. And so again, the, the gospel and Christianity provides us not just pardon for our sin, but the gospel provides power. God promises that He will give us the Spirit. Verse 14, He'll give us the Spirit to empower us, to enable us. And Paul expounds on this in chapter 5. Most of us are are familiar with chapter 5. When you think of Galatians, most of us can quote Galatians 5.22, right? 
but the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, so on, right? So most of us are familiar with that part of the book of Galatians, and I'm excited about getting to that, and that's the application part. And that's where Paul's going with this. You can, you can try to serve God in your flesh by, by the works of the law and relying on the works of the law and try to be a good religious person or you can depend on the power of the Spirit. The pardon that Jesus has paid for us at the cross and then the, the, the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to obey God. You see, we don't have to do it in our own strength. I was on, on my vacation in, in, in Colorado. I was observing beautiful birds. And at the house we were staying at, there were lots of hummingbirds that would come around. And they're, they're cute. There they're were actually some of them that got into the house and we had to catch them and get them out of the house. And they're beautiful. But they're just like, they are flapping their wings so, you can't even see how many times, you can't count how many times they're flapping. Does anybody know how, how many um, how many flaps per second a hummingbird has? We looked that up. We Google that. Thanks, Kevin. Um, uh, you, you, we don't even know how many. I mean, they're just flapping their wings, right? And then I also looked at another bird, which was like a hawk, or it, actually, it might have been an eagle, some kind of eagle. And the eagle's just up there soaring, and it's not flapping its wings like the hummingbird merely to stay up. What is it? How many? So a hummingbird flaps its wings 70 times per second just to stay up and to get its little bit of nectar and then go on and move on, right? They're just flapping away, trying to stay up. But an eagle soars. It catches wind currents and it glides and it soars through the air. And you and I can either be like a hummingbird as a Christian just flapping away trying to serve God and trying to do what's right and just wear ourselves out. You can only do that so long, right? You have to like... You gotta like jump over somewhere and take a rest and then flap some more to take a rest, right? You can't do that very long, but an, but an eagle can just soar, just spread out its wings and just soar and catch the wind currents and allow the wind to empower and enable it. And that's what the Spirit of God does in the life of the Christian. He empowers us. Christianity provides power. The gospel provides the promise of the Spirit. God has given us His Son, Jesus, to be our Redeemer, our Savior, our Rescuer, the one who justifies us through faith in Him. And then He promises and gives us the Spirit of God to enable us to love, to live joyfully, peacefully, kindly, to live in self-control, that's what God does. I'm preaching my sermon for in a couple weeks from now. So let's go on here. This, this next little section, I'm not going to spend too much time on, but I, I want to read it. So verse 15 through 18. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no, it no longer comes by, the prom, by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. By the way, let me just say, commentators on this chapter, they, they have like... There's a bunch of different interpretations on 
uh, several verses within this chapter. I think this might have been one of the passages that Peter had in mind when he said, Brother Paul, he, he writes some things that are difficult and hard to understand by, by many of us. Um, but Paul is making an argument here of the uh, arguing from the covenant that God made with Abraham that the the covenant that God made through Moses with Moses didn't do away with the the covenant that God made with Abraham. Okay, so we'll just leave it at that, and you guys can wrestle with those three verses, four verses uh, this afternoon or this week. The next little section here I want to get to is I want to talk about the purpose of the law, and that's what Paul does. So we're, we're, we've looked at the, the problem with law-keeping and then the promise of the blessing, uh, the blessing of Abraham, which uh, was justification by faith, the Spirit, and then there's also an inheritance included with that. But, but what about the law? What place does the law of God have in the life of the Christian? Because those of us who are here, I think, would all say that we believe this whole Bible and that all of it is useful. It's all of it's been inspired by God and it's useful for correction, for doctrine, for reproof, uh, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I think we would say that about the Old Testament, right? No, we're, we're not amongst those who say, let's get unhitched from the Old Testament. Let's get unhitched from, from that other, other part of the Bible, right? It's important, right? We're not ripping parts of our Bible out because we don't like them or we don't understand them. We embrace the whole counsel of God and we let it correct us. We let it address issues in our life. So we, so Paul has to answer this question here. What, what about the law? What relationship does it have in the life of the Christian? What do we do with it? Did Jesus come to abolish the law? No, he came to fulfill it. Okay, do the values of the law have any effect on the Christian? Like, should we care about not killing people? Of course. I mean, none of us are going to say, well, you know, I, I don't live under the law, so I can kill. Or I don't live under the law, so I can commit adultery. Or, I don't live under the law, so I can lie, right? None of us do that. And so Paul argues here, and he argues in Romans, that, that the, 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 the new covenant, it doesn't... The promise of faith actually upholds the laws, what, what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. But So what purpose is the, the law? What's it there for? So let's look at these verses. Verse 19, he explains that. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that, that could give life, then righteousness would have been indeed by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So what's the purpose of the law? Uh, the first thing I want to point out is that the law reveals sin. And I've already explained this a little bit. So the law is like a mirror. The law is like a mirror. It shows us what sin is. You don't take the mirror to wipe your face off. You go to the water faucet, right? And you use soap and you, you wash your face off. You see yourself in truth because of transgression. So there's a couple different ways that... that Interpreters have interpreted what Paul means here because of transgressions. Here's a couple of ideas. 
And I would say the first one that I've mentioned, it's valid, uh, and I lean towards that one. To provide a sacrificial, to, to provide a sacrificial system and to deal with, temporarily with transgressions. Okay, so that's one option when he says, why was the law added? Because of transgressions. To teach people more clearly what God requires and thereby restrain transgressors. Okay? Um, I think all of us are, are happy to have some benefits of the, the current law we have in this city and, and state and, and country, right? How do you think you guys would feel if, if all of a sudden the law just went away that we have? Like, no more speed signs. It's so you can kill. You can do whatever you want. That would be anarchy, right? That would be craziness, right? And so I think we can all appreciate the, 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 the reality that we live in a country that has some order and some balance. Now, it's definitely not perfect. There's a lot of injustice and misuse of the law. But it's, it's there to protect in some ways and restrain transgressors in some ways. And it takes action on those who violate um, the law. Uh, so number three, another, another um, option here for this why the law was added because of transgressions is to show that transgression violated an explicit written law. So if there wasn't a sign that said 65 miles per hour, uh, you wouldn't know that you're breaking the law when you're going 80 miles per hour on the highway, right? And, and, and you could go 120 miles per hour. And if you got a flat going 120 miles per hour, you'd be in big trouble, right? And so the law is there to show us, to give us a, a reference point of you've broken it. Um, and then lastly, to reveal people's sinfulness and their need for a Savior. And this is where I'm going to emphasize here, based on Romans Romans, um, Romans 7, Romans, uh, Paul said this in Romans 7. He said, what shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. I just would have went on coveting and like, I'm okay. I'm not, I, don't, I, don't, I don't struggle with covet, covetousness. I just go with the flow. But Paul is saying, no, I realize that covetousness is sin and the law helped me see that. Verse 8, but sin ceasing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. How many of us have gone by a sign that says wet paint and just out of curiosity, we're just like, I want to see, is it really wet still? Do not touch wet paint. Oh, I want to see, right? Uh, you know, by nature, we, we want to, you know, God, <laughs> in the beginning, God says, hey, don't eat from this tree of the knowledge of all these other trees you guys can eat from. What do Adam and Eve do? Oh, what's, let's check this tree out over here. Let's try this fruit out. That's what we just, we tend to do that. All right, and so we need something more than just the law to restrain us and just to show us that we have a problem. We need the power of the Holy Spirit operating in our life. Um, so the purpose of the law, it reveals sin. Uh, the law also silences self-justification. Okay? The law reveals our accountability to God. Romans uh, 3, 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become held accountable to God. People who say, I'm really, I'm really a good person. I'm not that bad. I'll, be, I'll make it to heaven. If you take them through the law, it will silence their self-justification. You take them through the Ten Commandments. We'll see how, how good you are. God's standard of good 
And his moral standard of goodness is the Ten Commandments, right? It reveals, the law is not sinful, it's pure. It, it reveals the holiness of God. It shows us God's holy and righteous standards. But it's powerless to justify us and to change us. And so it silences people's mouth of just justifying themselves. I'm really not that bad. See, we as Christians have come to admit that we are bad. We're far worse than we realize, yet we're far more loved and accepted than we ever hoped or dared to believe, right? And so we have a Savior. Our, our, our hope is not in ourselves to save ourselves and rescue ourselves and justify ourselves. Our hope is in Jesus. He's our righteousness. He's our sanctification. He's our redemption. The law reveals our accountability to God. It was given so that every mouth may be stopped and that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's through the law we realize what sin is. We realize we shouldn't lie. We shouldn't steal. We shouldn't commit idolatry. We shouldn't use God's name as a curse word. And then lastly, the law was it served as a guardian, as a schoolmaster, um, in the Roman world, uh, this was a um, like a, a tutor. This was like a tutor, okay, that would help care for and discipline. God bless you. Discipline children, I believe, from six or seven, eight. A guardian, uh, a tutor that would discipline them and help keep them in line and try to work with them, teach them manners, teach them what to do, teach them what's appropriate and what's, what's inappropriate. And so, so then Paul says, so the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons through faith. This is good news. I really want to preach on this. This is, I'm going to save this for next time. Sonship, identity, inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. So the law serves these purposes. Application points here. Avoid misusing the law to seek justification. Know its purpose. A butter knife works great for spreading butter and jelly on your toast, but it works terribly for using it to stab your neighbor with. It's not effective and it's not what it's for, right? Works great for spreading jelly on toast and butter, right? And so the law doesn't justify us. Don't don't try to use it for a purpose that God didn't put it there for. It has a purpose. And it's not to justify you and make you right with God. Okay? Allow the law to show you your sinfulness and your need for a Savior. That's what the law is there for. It shows us that, that God's holy and we're not. And we need a Savior who will rescue us and redeem us and deliver us and enable us. We need a power outside of ourselves. We need uh, redemption outside of ourselves. And lastly, rely on the finished work of Christ for your salvation. The old hymn says, On Christ the solid rock I stand, All other ground is sinking sand, All other ground is sinking sand. The hymn says, My hope is built on nothing less, than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Are you leaning on Him and His finished work? He said it is finished. 
And what an offense it would be if you or I don't believe that and we say, let me just, let me help you out, Jesus. Let me, let me do something. Let me make this better by being good. Paul says in chapter, chapter two that if we try to do that, we, we annul the grace of God. We, we, we make it, we dishonor the, the sacrifice of Jesus. I mean, imagine for a moment, if your house was on fire and your family was in there, and I, and I were to say, well, let, let me show you how, how much I love you. And you guys all get out. And I say, well, let me show you how much I love you. I'm going to go in and, and save you and I die. But you guys were already out. You didn't need my help to get out. Okay, you're able to get out by yourselves. That would be pointless. That would be vain. And you'd be like, that was dumb. Why did you go in there to try to save my family? We got out, right? But if, if one of your family members was trapped in there and they couldn't get out, and I said, let me, let me, I'm going to show you how much I love you. And I run in there and I go and I get your, your child out of that burning home. Then, then you, that would be an expression of love. But if I try to go in there when you don't need me to go in there, then that would be in vain. You see, we need a savior. We need Jesus to come and rescue us. And he gave himself for us. If we could get out of the house by ourselves and we do, we can justify ourselves by the law and make ourselves right by just being a good person, then Jesus died in vain, Paul says. And we dishonor his sacrifice when we try to earn it through the things that we do. He loved us. He loves you and he's given himself for you to rescue you. He is honored if you will receive that gift. And quit trying to earn God's favor. Receive it by faith. This morning, perhaps, there may be somebody here who hasn't received God's free gift of salvation. Perhaps there's somebody here who needs to receive Jesus Christ as Redeemer, as Savior, as Lord of your life. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. If you're here and you don't know God and you've been You've been living under a curse. You've been like that stuck vehicle on the side of the mountain accelerating, but you're not going anywhere or like a, like a gerbil in a wheel just running, exerting its strength or like a hummingbird just flapping. Then turn to Jesus. All who call on the name of Jesus will be delivered. They'll be rescued. They'll be saved. Today's the day. I want to open up for prayer. Kevin, if you would come up. Um, if you're here and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, you want salvation, you want to be forgiven, you want, to, you want Jesus to declare you righteous today. Not because you're, you're righteous in and of yourselves, but because He is righteous and He finished the work for you. His sacrifice was enough. He said, it is finished. He went to the cross. He never sinned. He lived a sinless life. He fulfilled the law. He didn't break the law. He obeyed. And He fulfilled it for you and I. And the righteousness that, that He has is accounted to us when we believe. If you have nothing in your bank account at all right now, and somebody says, I want to transfer a million dollars into your bank account, you'd, you'd be happy about that, wouldn't you, right? But, but you just got to let me do it. And you just got to believe. Will you give me your permission to transfer this into your bank account right now? You'd say, yeah, right. Of course. 
And we have something so much better than a million dollars being transferred into our bank account that will be spent up very quickly by most of us, right? We have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have every spiritual blessing. We have fellowship with God. We have the indwelling of the Spirit with us. We have God Himself, relationship with God. What greater blessing can there be than to be called, like Abraham, a friend of God? To have that designation over your life. You're in the favor of God. The blessing of God is on your life. No longer under the curse. No longer spinning your wheels. You're trying to make it by. So let's pray. I'm going to close in prayer. And if you if you want to receive Jesus, if you're here, um, would love to pray for you. You can come up or you can raise your hand right now. Or if you're here and, and you're, you're a Christian, you know you love the Lord. You know you belong to Jesus and you're going to heaven. But you have fallen into this trap of trying to serve God in your own strength and you want to get out of that you feel stuck you want prayer we want to pray for you you raise your hand for either one of those if you want to become a Christian today or if you you just feel stuck Pastor Mike three I'm going to pray for you okay Kevin if you would lead us Father thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here in the opportunity to pursue you and your purposes. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand the gospel better and apply it to every area of our lives. And may we live in the glorious liberty of the children of God so that when you look down, when you see us, God, we're just free because of the gospel. And when the world sees us, they see somebody who is set free. Somebody who has the smile of God on their lives because of Jesus. That's these things in Christ's name. Amen. I hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace In every high and stormy gale My anchor holds within the veil On Christ the solid rock I stand